welcome in everyone. I am um, Maria from Watertown, co-host of Tape to Tape. We are recording episode 14 on Wednesday night, December 20th. I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Caroline. Caroline, well, welcome in. We uh, we have an abundance <laughs> of games to uh, to talk about. We do. Hello. Episode. Absolutely. Last week, it was a little bit of a desert. So this week, we were blessed with four games, I think, since you and I last chatted. So lots to talk about. Some pros and cons. Um, some good, yeah. some bad, some, you know, I don't, I'm not ready to refer to any of these games as ugly yet. Um, Depends on what you want to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> In those yeah, days. There, there were some ugly things, but. Um, <laughs> not yeah. necessarily we, by the Bruins. Not necessarily by the Bruins. You are correct. Um, we're also <laughs> going to talk about um, a big piece of news that came out of the Bruins organization this week, and that mm -hmm. would be related to uh, Matt Patra and um, the fact that the organization has loaned him to the World Juniors to play for Team Canada. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, let's let's just get going and, and yeah. break down some of these games, and we'll, we'll start with uh, the Bruins' game against the New Jersey Devils on December 13th, mm -hmm. they took a point away from that game, but they did um, technically lose in OT, yeah, two to one. And so what, what, uh, what were your takeaways from, from that particular game? Yeah. So if you remember from the week before, I had some hopes and dreams, so to speak, with this particular game, what I was really hoping to see. Um, was seeing them come out with purpose, with energy, moving their feet, getting, you know, doing what they needed to do. And I was really, really pleased with that first period. They did exactly what I was hoping to see they would do. Um, that first period was definitely a response period to the pretty crummy week that they had before. Um, they were finally leading in shots on goal after the first period that's something that i've been keeping an eye on lately uh over the last few games because i've been noticing that they have just very very quickly been finding themselves in the hole when it comes to shots on goal and you know the uh statistically the shot attempts the counts may not be horribly, horribly off, but at the end of the day, like you still need to be getting those shots on goal. You can't score a goal if you don't actually get it on net. And so they were uh, up with their shots on goal. They had a lot of good energy. Um, big guys came out, you know, uh, Geeky really stepped up um, because we were missing a couple of players on this mini road trip down to the metro area. Uh, there was a shift with Geeky and JVR that was just absolute perfection. Um, it was just gorgeous. It, one of the most perfect plays I've seen uh, in, in a while with the Bruins. Um, and it... It was a it was a disappointing end, 
I was hoping that the kids from New Jersey would be a little disheartened uh, towards the end because they were getting outplayed. Uh, obviously, our goaltending is, you know, better than pretty much any other team out there. And so my hopes that that would kind of kill any hope in these uh, kids, especially seeing some of their uh, less than perfect plays. My favorite was watching the Hughes brothers run into each other. So you can only imagine, you know, how uh, how much they were chirping at each other after that. Um, well, and probably everyone's every every New Jersey Devils fan in that <laughs> arena had uh, their heart probably stopped when both those both those uh, uh, players ran into each other. Yeah, and it was a pretty hard hit too, which is like, oh God, can you imagine friendly fire? Uh, the 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 Marchand streak ended with his points finally, but you know, I was happy. I was no complaints there. Uh, and they forced it into overtime, but as we have started to also see, when they've gone into overtime, it's not been awesome. Um, no, no not I, this season. I'd have to not go, yeah, I'd have to go back and, and and you know, maybe this is a little bit more homework for me to check, but it feels like there are two outcomes. Either the game is over. Within two minutes, quickly, max quickly, yeah. or they can if they can get it to the shootout, they have a a, a higher chance of coming away with two points in the shootout. I think the shootout they've done fine with. I don't think they've had very many um, off the top of my head. Maybe two or more. I don't know, but um, you know, it was it was another situation where they go into the overtime. And it's like they, I don't know, they didn't touch the puck. They didn't really play the puck. And we saw that in later games, too, where it was essentially they never had possession. So, you know, they're not going into overtime with the momentum. Um, and that's a real bummer because I think with the exception of, and I know we're going to talk about Minnesota soon but with the exception of last night's game it kind of almost seems like also when they go into overtime it's because they blew the lead and so i don't know are they going into overtime a little depressed but they're not going into it energized and then that leads to a lack of possession and silly mistakes and a quick overtime loss so that was kind of what i was experiencing when i was watching the that devil's game it was it was it was a little heartbreaking because you saw the the response that they were putting out there from from before. So, you know, I give it a B, I think. Well, and, <laughs> you know, I mean, even post-game, Coach Montgomery was not too upset. Is that, you know, yeah. he, he thought the Bruins had a good forechecking game going most of the night. And that was led by Morgan Geeky. And my, yeah. my big takeaway was... Morgan Geeky was a beast in, yeah. in this game against against the Devils. I mean, I he he just seems to be getting better and better with each each minute of playing time that that he gets. But it's it's really really hard to generate any momentum in a game when you're playing on your heels. And in this uh -huh. game, the third period, um, you know the the Devils came out. 
very aggressively. Uh They tied it pretty early in the third period. Uh And then it was pretty much all devils all the time. The Bruins were outshot at one point during that period, seven to one. So when you're, it stands to reason when you're, when you're pinned in your own end and the other team is constantly putting that offensive pressure on you, it minimizes the opportunities for you Mm -hmm. to, to develop any scoring chances. But, um, you know, the, the other takeaway for me in this game was Jeremy Swayman mm. was solid man. Like v- Van- Vanasek played well for New Jersey, too. Mm-hmm. Um, he played well. But Swayman mm. was, in my view, and I know the score doesn't, doesn't um, prove this true, but he was definitely better mm-hmm. than Vanasek in terms of the, of the, the quality of saves. Yep. That Swayman needed to make. And, you know, even um, Hendrick Lundquist during the intermission yeah. was singing Swayman's praises. He was. Know, in terms of how calm, cool, and collected mm-hmm. he seems in, in the net, in the net. And his, his movement in the net seems like so fluid. Yeah. And he's, yep. you know, he's playing. He's playing big. So um, those those were my takeaways from from this game. And uh-huh. uh, you know, again, it was a good effort, it was a solid effort. It was what we wanted to see. It was a fast start. Some of the old, some of the the things that we seemed recurring themes about, yeah. you know, yeah, things that you're doing with the puck that leaves you scratching your head at times, but. Uh-huh. The effort, the energy was there, and and they do take a point away. Yeah. So now, two nights later, they go to the island. Yeah. Face the Islanders, which is this game was this game was in chaos. Sane. I think (laughs) I I think I recall. Uh, controlled chaos would you call it controlled chaos maybe i don't even know if i would say it was controlled i all the the one thing i do remember in particular was the devil's game was a little difficult to sit through because that was like yes the bruins came in and they were very uh we're here to you know for business and we're gonna take care of business and this that and the other uh but it wasn't a particularly exciting game. The game on Long Island was a hell of a hockey game. As as frustrating, as, I mean, I that was that game. I I I'm pretty sure I turned it off at one point because I was just like, this is just going nowhere. This is frustrating. And then and like I never turn off a game. Let me tell you, everybody knows it's got to be like really bad but you know it's the holidays i got stuff i have to do it's that time of year and you know and so i was like um i'm gonna just i'm gonna step away and i'm gonna come back and our our great friends in the discord were messaging me saying you gotta come back you got it you gotta come back and i gotta tell you (laughs) i came back just before the save of the year I caught that live. <laughs> uh that that toe save. I mean, it was 
it it's it reminds me of growing up and you watch the greatest goalies all their highlights and whatever and you know oh the kick save and a beauty and oh what a stretch and all these things like that moment is going to be a hallmark moment uh for goalies in this league like to be able to do a move like that uh by Olmark just just unreal and I gotta tell you it was a roller coaster from that moment on I mean it was it was insane. It was insane. And it wasn't just because of the absurdity and chaos as a direct result of the very immature and inexperienced officiating. Like, it was just everything. And maybe that was what started it all. And then the entire game just fed off of that. Um, but that was, by hands down, one of the most insane games I've watched this season. Um, and I and I think if I if I'm remembering correctly, Coach Montgomery referred to it as probably their so far their best win of the season, just because of the resiliency that yeah the Bruins showed, and you know continuing to not give up to come back. You know they the power play came through uh-huh. when they needed it most, and I, let, let me let me just I, I and again. The identity of this team, to me, mm-hmm. on this date in time, mm-hmm. is the goaltending. Yeah, it it there there's there's no other identity right now that this team has other than their goaltending. Mm-hmm. And anyone that says that the Bruins should consider trading either one of their <laughs> goalies right now needs to have their head examined. Yeah, no, because if you if you were to even consider, you know, unless. Unless the fortunes of your team change a little bit, and you know you're you're getting another you know kind of pure goal scorer back in return, yeah. Where do you think you would be right now without these two goalies, folks? Right. Well, and as as you have heard, and everyone who listens to the pod has heard me say time and time again, it's goaltenders who win cups. And quite frankly, who are you going to send? one of these guys too who is not in direct competition and who is maybe in the western conference who has a player who is a pure goal scorer or whatever on a team that is not likely to make it to the stanley cup playoffs because what are you going to do you're going to give your your top goaltender or one of your top goaltenders to a team that you might face with a regular on a regular basis no are you crazy like so it, yeah anyone who is making having that conversation i mean i would love to then hear what their solution is or what kind of outcome they're expecting uh from such a ridiculous trade so that's just nonsense. But I will I tell we, you. We, we digress. But, you know, again, to me, that's just my, you know, one woman's opinion that mm-hmm. the identity of the, the Boston Bruins so far this season is is the goal goaltending. Yeah. And these goalies have been keeping this team, which mm-hmm. we knew would struggle to score goals because of, you know, the significant roster changes mm-hmm. that they have gone through. Yeah, but they are giving them a chance 
to win and take yep. points night after night. Now, yep. is that sustainable? No. <laughs> During an 82-game season? <laughs> I don't know. Highly doubtful. But it could be. But, um, you know, again, th th this, this game was um, very entertaining. Very entertaining. Um, I will say, though, the one um, big blemish to me is the fact that Pasta got called for likely one of the worst tripping calls of the season with less, what, 17.5 seconds left yeah. in a time game. That was and bad. if you go back and you look at the reaction of Jim Montgomery, where he nearly wants his head to explode, <laughs> that should tell you all you need to know about how stupid mm -hmm. of a call it was mm -hmm. to make. Yeah. And again, not to get too far into it because, um, and we'll mention why towards the end of the show, but yes, we will. Um, it's just, for me, watching a call that happens like that under those particular circumstances, nothing screams more um, a, a referee or an official's inexperience than an, a situation like that. Because, you know, and, and we say all the time, you know, we understand this is a fast game. It is a very difficult job. I would not want to be out on that ice and they're humans and they can make mistakes. However, these are sometimes very egregious mistakes. And when the refereeing and the officiating dramatically impacts the result of the game, not necessarily because uh, one or the other team is, you know, misbehaving, so to quote unquote, right? Um, that becomes a problem. And when you have a, a referee who, is throwing his hand up with 17 seconds left in a game that is obviously going into overtime. You have to be able to read the situation and understand, look, the guy who, the guy, like, let's assume. It wasn't even blatant. It wasn't even egregious. Let's assume a trip actually happened instead of what actually happened, which was a guy lost his edge. So let's assume there was a tripping violation. He wasn't near the goal he wasn't in the act of uh, you know actively shooting or trying to score a goal there's 17 seconds left they're about to go down to three on three just forget it like just forget it exactly like you said swallow that whistle put put your hands in your pockets like Honestly, you know, I, you know, some of them I would like to say, can you just choke on that whistle? <laughs> like that's how flipping aggravated yeah. I have become. Let them play. The state of officiating in the right. league. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to digress because, right. you know, we yeah. we have something planned <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. specific so. to this topic. But, um, yep. you know, just getting back, back to this game and, you know, the, 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 the action in the third period was um was was pretty pretty entertaining yeah pretty the game completely changed it completely changed um and it was uh you know it was a good uh overtime um and it obviously went into a shootout which like i i think at this point there's growing 
calls, I'm hearing it more and more uh, for the shootout to go away. Uh, like, this is a great example. You know, this this overtime, the devil's overtime, pretty much almost every single overtime that we experienced over this past week has been fantastic and exciting and has been resolved. And again, I just keep thinking like that silly rule that, uh, you know, the Board of Governors were contemplating. Um, I literally only saw the complaint that they have of the constant uh, taking the puck out of the zone and coming in and setting up one time. And I don't even think that I have really seen it done quite so well all season as uh, I believe it was the Rangers who did that uh, like three times before they scored. So like even that, I haven't seen that happen in that way at all much this season. So, no, you know, for I mean, the the most recent overtimes and again, because we always go back to what we've seen recently, you know, uh-huh, we uh-huh. haven't dug back in other overtime games. But the pace of the games that the Bruins have been involved in mm-hmm. over time has been a frantic pace. Yeah. You know, sometimes, and we'll, we'll get to that, sometimes to their detriment, mm-hmm. uh, because I think it was detrimental. <laughs> mm-hmm. That pace was detrimental in the, the game against the Wild, but, but we'll get there. So, um, yeah. yeah, I'm just not a fan of the shootout. And again, maybe because I have you know, biased in that, honestly, the Bruins have never been very good at shootouts. When no, the shootout first came to fruition, um, they weren't a very good shootout yeah. team. But in They've this game against mother. the Isles, yeah, this, they're getting, yeah, well, this this game against the Islanders, yeah, the, go- the shootout goals by Charlie Coyle and mm-hmm. Pasta were really beautiful goals. So and beautiful and goals. I heard recently on, uh, as you all know, we're we're big fans of the Morning Brew, um, Billy Jaffe and Andrew Recroft. I believe they were saying in a recent episode that Charlie Coyle actually has um, over thirty percent on the shootout, which is extremely high uh, for a shootout. So, I I personally don't find them exciting. I find them no too nerve wracking. I I. I find them too nerve wracking, and I hate that a game we we just watched sixty five minutes of play, and this is what it comes down to: right. two two exhausted goaltenders and a lucky break. I mean, granted, you know, the Bruins when they they were not the same team at the end of this game as they were at the start of the game. I thought for sure that the Bruins were just like not going to pull it off. They were not going to get it together. They were not going to be able to dig deep and by some miracle they were able to just keep pushing and chipping away and they and they got to where they needed to get it and they deserved that win. And so the outcome of that shootout was a appropriate and i'm not just saying that as a bruins fan but just in a hockey fan sense they deserved to win that game for what the effort was that they put into that game well but, i think that's why monty said what he said post game about yeah you know this being like you know one of their best wins of the season uh-huh. for those very facts that you just laid out the you grit know, they, they the grit they kept uh-huh. coming from behind and that really hasn't been the identity of of this team, and I keep no. using that word identity because 
in in there have been past Bruins teams, and I mm-hmm. know that the roster is different. I know it's different players, but there there were there were teams and seasons where you'd say this team can come back and win mm-hmm. this game, but I don't see that in this team's DNA yet consistently enough. No, but it they're was not good to see, especially yeah. after they lost against. The, the devils. devils. Yeah. I was really worried the direction that the that the Islanders game was going in was the direction that I didn't want it to go in because I was afraid then of what a loss out on Long Island would do to their quality of gameplay against the Rangers. And, you know, the last thing I'll say about this game, um, the one thing, the one and only thing that I do enjoy about the shootout is watching David Pasternak just terrify a goaltender with this new shot that he has been practicing since the summer. Uh, I it was in one of the either post game or intermission interviews uh, this past week where he talked about that shot and how he practices it every single day and. It keeps getting better and better every single time. It almost defies physics. I've watched plenty of uh, videos uh, on social media from, uh, you know, organizations that teach kids, you know, about the game of hockey and like looking at it from that technical perspective. And and it's just you watch it and it just doesn't make sense. And. No wonder every single goalie that sees him coming when he has a clean open chance like he has in a shootout, they're ready to pee their pants. <laughs> no, like and you saw you saw Sorokin. Like as soon as Pasta let loose that, I don't know if they, it's even got a name, but it's like a sweep, uh, a sweeping shot. I mean, he's just like, yeah, all right. I mean, we knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> it's the only saving grace, I will say. <laughs> Uh, but that being said, then they headed headed back uh to play back home. Back home. And you you wanted you wanted some redemption, <laughs> retribution after the smackdown that the Rangers made um, yes. on the Bruins. Uh it, it was the it was right after the 26th. Not the yep. the 26th. Yeah, right? I believe it was the 26th. Um, yep. You know, yeah. And so we were all looking for that. Right. It was oh, a good game. It was a very good game. It's unfortunate mm-hmm. that the officials mm. were part of that game. Yeah. And, you know, not only did the Rangers take the extra point, they should have been awarded a 10, 10 out of 10 right. for all the dives that they took in the game. Right. <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. You know, at one point, I think Andy Brickley referred to one call, Andy Ooh. Brickley, who... Um, is the is the analyst for Nesson, in case mm-hmm. um, folks out there don't know. He referred to one call as pathetic. Yeah, that so was that, it, huge of him to say, you know, for, for our friends outside of New England who maybe don't have the opportunity to actually watch Bruins games on Nesson, um, you know, we've got Jack. He's he's the play by play. He's always he's, over the top, Jack. He's always over the top. He's yeah. always passionate. He's always unbridled. Love that for him. 
Rick is the, ironically, is the color commentator. And he's always very uh, even keeled, very reserved, of very professional, Jack, yeah, very professional. Jack goes overboard. Mm-hmm. And Brickley is is the voice of reason. Right. You and rarely you hear him rarely criticize or say like something was dumb. Him, when I heard him say, that's pathetic, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know if you people realize, but that is like the biggest insult you will ever hear in your life because of how understated and who it just came from. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. If we we think that anyone in the league offices or the the officials' offices care, then we're all, (laughs) we're not as smart as we think they are. Because I honestly don't think they care. No, no. Um, I mean, so gameplay-wise, it was... It was a a good game. I was entertained. you know, I was irritated um, once again, you know, back to back nights of officiating that very negatively impacted the game um, through their own inexperience or poor judgment. Um, you know, we'll just I mean, we'll just talk about it. Maybe quickly, who knows? Uh, but the hit that was done by uh, David Pasternak on uh, Ryan Lindgren, um, you know, I'm finding it really difficult as a hockey fan, and and I'm sure there are listeners out there who are kind of in the same boat. You know, I've been a, a big fan of the game. For a very long time, I feel like I know and understand the rules and what's a penalty and what's not a penalty fairly well. Even some of those, you know, gray area ones where you're like, yeah, okay, I see it. I see it. I'm personally struggling to be able to identify what is a good hit and what is a bad hit. Um I so if, if don't understand. Having, I think the, <laughs> listen to me. You don't think that coaches and players are not asking themselves the same question? Yeah. Because it changes from game to game, officiating crew to officiating crew, and even period to period. Right. And I guess I am now not sure what is a reasonable expectation of a player. So for example, um, Brick did a fantastic job of really explaining kind of when that hit happened. So Pasta comes in, um, it's kind of kitty corner behind the net. Um, so Lindgren is late. So, so folks, just to s- set this up for you, this mm-hmm. is relatively late. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was relatively Beyond, late in the second period. Yeah, it was past the halfway point of the game. Okay. Yeah. It was it was at I think it was at the 1810 mark. Yeah. Now, previous to this specific hit, mm. Pasta had gone after Lindgren earlier in the period. Mm-hmm. And 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 laid a what I thought was a oof, you're lucky you got away with that. A heavy hit. Him. Yeah, yeah, a heavy hit. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not quite sure what was going on between Pasta 
and Lindgren, yeah. but it seemed like Pasta had had something going. Yeah, with, with he had a bee in his bonnet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this hit, he, you know, he's he's coming in. Um, their kitty corner behind the net, and um, it is important to note that for Lindgren, it was not a situation where he suddenly changed direction or, you know, was doing a, a spin move or whatever. That was not the case. However, he was still a little awkwardly positioned and Pasta comes in and he nails him on his, I think it was his left shoulder. Because of the force of the hit and the point of contact, it was kind of just like through the laws of physics and a, a weird situation where, uh, you know, his upper body kind of goes into the boards first. His head kind of experiences a little bit of whiplash because of that and then goes and crashes into the glass and he effectively bounces off the glass and on the ground. And because he did that, he got smacked in the face and there was blood. Now. Brick did a really great job of breaking it down and explaining kind of like, okay, this is really what the officials are going to do. And and I will say I was very, very supportive of the referees saying we're going to call a five-minute major so we can review it. That's why that rule exists, and I think they should use it liberally. I would rather see that than not. Um, you know, and there was question about the hit and where it was. And he was explaining that, well, you know, the league is pushing to have players when they're coming into a situation like that, as in pasta coming into the situation like this, to, to give a bear hug as opposed to complete the hit. Now, I, now, because everything of everything that's been going on, I feel like I can't tell, is it a reasonable ex expectation of a player, in this case, David Pasternak, who's coming in, who sees the player with the puck almost in the corner of the ice, um, is it a reasonable expectation in that split second that he is able to effectively change the trajectory and the, and the motion of his hit that fast? I don't know. I kind of want to say no, <laughs> but I'm also not a professional hockey player. So, you know, what something that may look really fast to you and me maybe isn't actually, maybe that is a uh, plenty of time for a, a professional hockey player who has a lot of experience in changing trajectory. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm really flabbergasted at the outcome of that which was not only the five minute major which i understand i expected because there was blood you know huh, all right but the game misconduct which uh again this is all happening in in real time in the discord we're all trying scrambling trying to find <laughs> the rules and understanding and kind of i think what we found and and we're able to understand essentially the difference between like the match penalty and a game misconduct ultimately is, my understanding, um, intent. So a game misconduct, you know, there's reckless behavior and it was unintentional as opposed to you're going in specifically to hurt someone. Um, 
Regardless, I still think that was a terrible call by the referees because he wasn't permanent. He wasn't fine with the major. Yeah. I thought he deserved the five minutes, the the game. And and again, I don't know. And I didn't in the interest of full disclosure, I didn't look up the rules that says if a player gets a major, he automatically gets the game misconduct or if that's no discretion it's at official it's at the discretion of the official and then, what makes the it official is an idiot i agree i 100 percent agree because <laughs> you know uh again not to get a huge tangent but uh the, no we should inter- think about the goals that were scored right, right right because the officials have made themselves you know, they interfered he, he, right significantly. We, um, we have to talk about it, right? You know, and and you you listen to and I and I'll I'll try to uh, remember to put this again in our show notes. The interview with uh, Monty afterwards and with with Marshan afterwards as well. You know, uh, Monty, I believe, said he was a little shocked. He was because the hit was not on the numbers. It wasn't on the back. It wasn't you know. Uh, what you would traditionally expect to get a, a big call from it was the shoulders. And then even Marshy, um, interestingly enough, he was like, look, I didn't see it, so I'm not going to comment on it, which was a great move by him. I don't know why I'm surprised sometimes at his diplomacy. <laughs> I'm so used to him not being that way. But, um, you know, he says these guys know, these guys right. know that the refs have grudges. Mm. And they take names and numbers. Mm. And so it's of no benefit right. to, to Brad Marchand as the captain of the team, right. to him as a player, to the rest of the group, to the organization, to, have a to comment. say anything <laughs> detrimental. Yeah. We can all see it. Yeah. Well, and apparently what Marchand was told was, well, there was blood. So that's why it happened. And I'm like, I'm listening to this interview and I'm like, what the hell? I've literally never heard that ever. The only time I have ever heard blood being a factor in the outcome of the penalty is with the you know, high stick or what have you. And it goes from a regular two minute minor to a double. Like, that's it. Because I always make fun of the players. Like, they're say- I'm always saying to my daughter, I'm like, look, he's trying to make himself bleed so they get four minutes. <laughs> So, you know, once again, it was really frustrating to watch a game that was a really good game that w- that had a lot of interference from uh, the referees that was excessive, you know, and we're not saying that Pasta shouldn't have gotten a penalty. Like, he should have gotten a penalty. Fine. Of course. I would have supported a five-minute major. Like, it is what it is. He did something stupid. But at the end of the day, you know, those actions by the referees ultimately have consequences on the flow of the game and the the you know the energy in the building and i was glad that the bruins were able to at least stick it out to overtime but that was a bitter pill to swallow in spite of some pretty uh awesome and significant bruins history that happened there not just the fact that it was the era night with the lunch pail AC, which was hilarious and fun. Um, but, you know, we also had Brad Marchand. Milbury had taken the shoe I know. that he brought out on the ice with him. 
and used it on the officials during this game. Yeah. You know, where was Winsick out there challenging them? <laughs> well, he did. He did challenge. He did challenge. When he, which was very, I mean, you know, um, that, that. <laughs> How many of the players on the Rangers team even knew what the hell he was doing? I, I honestly, they likely didn't. Like, who is this? Guy? Who is this guy? What is he doing? Right, but you that, know that that was well done by well done by the Bruins. Yeah, but, you know, it, it this game for the most part had a playoff atmosphere to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it started with the, with the fanfare of introducing um, and honoring that lunch pail AC group, and God bless them. One more entertaining than the other, you know. Having Terry <laughs> O'Reilly and um, I forget they all in the box, <laughs> out, you know, in the penalty box, and uh, you know Milbury coming out with the shoe in his hand, and mm-hmm. you know Wensick doing his his come on, let's go. Um, <laughs> it just well well done, and they 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 yeah. they captured the spirit of the moment, and I think they. They all enjoyed themselves <laughs> yeah. uh, during that night. It's yeah. too bad that the Bruins couldn't pull out a win um, yep. for them. But the the game itself was was a good game. Um, I think both coaches were left scratching their heads mm-hmm. at the the level or the lackluster officiating. Although yep. I do think that you know um, the Rangers did get the benefit mm-hmm. of. Of some calls, the the other the other thing that frustrated me with this game is, you know, Trent Frederick and Jacob Truba finally mm. going to settle their differences after Truba, you know, tried to slash him in the face with this stick, mm-hmm. and so they dropped the gloves, and before they can even get anything really going, the the refs go and break it up. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it was, you know, a little disappointing and it made it a little bit, uh, it was a hell of a game. It was perfect for that era night. Um, you know, Brad Marchand also, uh, tied Bobby Orr for, uh, points, uh, when he assisted on that second goal by, or the second period goal by Geeky. Um, and he is now one even strength goal away from passing Rick Middleton for third all-time even-strength goals. So that's pretty exciting. Um, I forgot that the that in uh, the Minnesota game, the goal that Brad Marchand scored was a power play goal. So darn, <laughs> didn't quite get there yet, but he's going to get there soon. So um, so let's talk about the wild game, right? Uh, another overtime loss. <laughs> Um, you know, it was, this one did aggravate me. Yeah. This one did aggravate me. Um, I was, I was frustrated by Mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the Rangers game. I wasn't aggravated. There's, there's a little bit of a subtle, subtle difference there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, I, this Minnesota wild game did, did aggravate me. Mhm. Yeah. It was first of all fascinating uh after the game had wrapped up and and we actually did a a 
a group watch and we were all chatting at, in the discord and the wild did not play like the 500 team that they are I, you know reflecting on this game i i thoroughly enjoyed it as a hockey fan I thought the two teams were evenly matched. I didn't feel like the Bruins were playing down to Minnesota. I didn't, you know, I didn't think that Minnesota was playing like a crummy team. Um, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, he is the last of his kind. Uh, he was vintage Marc-Andre Fleury in this game. Vintage. You know, in I case have, I hate to say this, but <laughs> he was fun to watch. <laughs> He's so fun to watch. He's hands down the most liked player in the entire league. Uh, if you haven't seen some of his pranks, they are hilarious and good natured and funny. And uh, you wouldn't know that the man is 39 years old and he played like he was 29. He uh, is, I believe, I looked this up last night, he is the only currently active goaltender who played prior to the last lockout from 2005, and he's only this, only one of two uh, of all players in the league currently who played prior to that lockout. Uh, Brent Burns is the other one. So, you know, he's he's just a Fun, phenomenal, awesome goaltender. I love him. I'm a big fan of his. Respect to him. Uh, always. I mean, if this guy isn't a Hall of Famer, I mean, he's only the third goaltender to have uh, over 500 wins behind Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh. So, you know, and he's got three cups. So if this man's not in the, in the, um, in the Hall of Fame in in five years from now, I'll be and, stunned. You know, and if you're playing out in front of a guy who is like, you know, he's he's using his glove, he's stopping shots, he's stacking his pads, he's all over the place. He's all over the place, and that has to fuel your fire yeah. and your energy. Saying this guy is literally saving our bacon. <laughs> we owe it to him. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Linus, Linus, let me tell you, Linus was, you know, right up there with uh-huh. Mark Andre Fleury in terms uh-huh. of the quality oh, yes. saves oh, that absolutely. he needed to make. And he had some spectacular saves. I think what did Linus in in this game mm-hmm. was that a little bit of rebound control issues. Mm hmm. And they were costly rebound control issues because they led to two of the wild goals. Yeah. In my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was otherwise, like I said, a highly entertaining game. Um, they There was a lot of uh, back and forth from both play, both teams. Uh, so just a high, you know, A plus uh, hockey game to watch. And the night could have started off badly because in the first period, um, Grizzlick got hit by Mm -hmm. Marcus Foligno. Mm -hmm. It looked like a clean hit to me. Yep. But Grizzlick went in hard to the boards. It looked like maybe he might have been favoring his arm or his shoulder. Mm -hmm. He went down to the tunnel, Mm -hmm. but he did come back in the first period to his credit. Yes. With about three minutes and change left in the first period. Yeah. 
you know, and there's always talk and, and about pasta, him. What do you say about pasta at this oh point? My God. What, what do you say? I mean, do we have to recognize how lucky we are to have on our team mm-hmm. one of the best goal scorers right now in the world? Mm-hmm. He he is he is up there sitting, I think third or fourth with the best of them mm-hmm. in the NHL right now. Yeah. Yeah. If he continues his trajectory, which, you know, we always knew that he was going to be, uh, for the Bruins, a historical player, you know, high goal scorer. But at this point, I think it's only a matter of time because he's still, he's what, 26? Is he 27? Um He's you, you go and you look at the the all-time career leaders for the Boston Bruins and he's already on some of those top 10 lists. Uh he's going to be at the top of a lot of those lists by the time he retires from the Boston Bruins and and, and it's amazing Zaka, that we get to watch it. I know. He and Zaka are magic together. Uh-huh. Now, this was Zaka's Zaka and Charlie McAvoy both came were back in the lineup, drew back in. After uh-huh. their injuries, Zaka looked a little bit rusty. Uh-huh. Um, he had some issues handling the puck early on in the game, but boy, he shook that rust off uh-huh. quickly because he just got better and better yeah. as he went along in this game. And some of his stick work uh-huh. in this game was incredible. Yep. Yeah, he's also been one who has really risen to that challenge of being the the one C. You know, I'm not. I'm That's not. What we're hoping for. That's yeah, what we're hoping for, right? You know, oftentimes I'll hear, um, oh, you know, oh, we we still just need a one C, and I'm like, I'm okay with what we've got. I don't. I don't know what what games you guys are watching. I mean, yeah, he's not Patrice Bergeron. We we need to move on from that, uh, and and I think that he's I think Zaka is a phenomenal one uh, C, and you know for as much as I love Charlie Coyle, and I've said you know he I he's one of my favorite players. I think he's Mister Reliable. His puck possession is fantastic, um, but you know I don't know that he is necessarily cut out for anything higher than a 3C, but he he was 2C last night. He's been up and down from the third to the second, um, playing with guys who are first-line players, because we know how Monte likes to juggle things up and lines don't actually exist for him, but he's he was great before Monte came, and he's even better, and he's another player... Just- and you know he's improving other areas of his game. The face-off, Scott. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where people were critical about, you know, like again, when you have a player of that caliber, you want him to have the puck on a stick as much as yeah. he can. Yes. Now, is that going to lend itself to him giving up the puck? Mm. Probably. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's been, you know, sometimes some justifiable criticism. But that seems to be an area of his game that he has spent time working on and and cleaning up. Mm-hmm. He's also using his body mm-hmm. a little bit more this mm-hmm. season. I would just caution him to like 
just be careful how you're hitting and where you're hitting because mm-hmm. um, with with the state of officiating the way mm-hmm. that it is right now, again, nobody knows what a clean hit is anymore. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So it was a fun game. It was a disappointing end because once again, I feel like the Bruins, they'll start a game really strong or great, you know, or they'll, they'll, they'll find their game midway through or whatever. And they just are currently really struggling to finish. It's like they're running out of gas a little bit, you know, and I try uh, to not really look at the negatives. You know, it was, it was a four points this past week. That's not terrible. They're still on top. No, but they need to learn how to finish. Um, they, they, right. they, there's, there's an issue with finishing here and holding, holding, holding a lead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So th- those, those are problematic areas that um, need, need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. The other, um, the other positive takeaways in this game was that that fourth line was freaking unbelievable. Yeah. This game. Yep. They, I mean, you know, Beecher in the first period started off with the with a rush from the defensive zone mm-hmm. and never stops moving his feet. Yeah. Blows past the minis- the Wilds defense. Yeah. And then makes a tape to tape pass to pasta. Uh-huh. And you know, pasta puts it five hole, and that's what makes it one to one. But yep. that was all all Beecher. Yeah, and then you know, yeah, Laco Laco drops the gloves. That was hum- and, like and my my understanding he- is he just finally got cleared to be able to fight again after <laughs> after yeah. you know sustaining those those injuries. Um, like, sir, you just broke your face. Like, you just I'm broke gonna, your face. What are you doing? But it was hilarious. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna drop the gloves and it, I'm gonna win a fight. So it felt vintage Marshy, where Marshan would go out there and do that to kind of get the game going, to get the fans excited, to amp up that energy in the rink. Uh, I mean, my goodness. And then after that super fast fight, I mean, he's got his hands in the air. Like, are you not entertained? I was like, I am highly entertained, sir. Highly entertained. He knew, he knew, he knew that, you know, the Bruins needed a lift. It was great. He, he, would, he was the guy to do it. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Oscar Steen also, yeah. yeah, you know, he dumps Pat Maroon at one point mm-hmm. in the game. Who Thank I, God. We I hate him. stand him. He's a shit stirrer. <laughs> he always has been and he always will be. He seems kind of like he he's just an ass on and off the ice. Like for as much as people uh, say they don't like Brad Marchand, which like I, I don't see it. He's perfect in my eyes. Um, but like Pat Maroon, I, I Mm, no, he doesn't seem like a good person at all. Thank you very much. So <laughs> I don't feel bad when he gets hit. <laughs> that that fourth line did what you want your fourth line to do. Yes. You know, excellent for checking. They even had some really good offensive zone time and offensive sequences. Um, they they they're the energy drivers, and they clearly were in, mm-hmm. in this game. So yeah, good VIPs. Good for them. Yeah, the whole they, season. 
They've been real. Yes, they have been really good. They have been yeah. really good. Yeah. You know, and and it, you know, the Bruins had plenty of scoring opportunities. They mm. actually outshot a team full. I know. They outshot God. them forty-two to twenty-nine, which tells you how flipping good Mark Andre Fleury, Fleury mm-hmm. was. Yeah, but if they had any other goalie, mm-mm. here here's a novelty though. Mm. You know, the Bruins with. 231 left, I believe, in the third period. Go six on four because they were on the power play. They start off 5v4, then they pull the goalie. Yep. And it's a complete and utter shit show. Oh, my God. And here's where I will give the credit to the referees because I know I... They didn't blow the whistle. I was waiting. They didn't blow the whistle because... And I kept waiting, too. But they clearly had a bead on the puck. They yep. clearly kept their eye on the puck. Uh-huh. And, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury had also lost his stick uh-huh. during this case. And he was on the ground. And he was on the ground. One of his teammates gave, gave, them, um, gave him a player's stick, but it still wouldn't have helped him Mm-mm. save this goal because there's, there's, there's little Marchand, you yep. know? Pick, picking up, up, picking up the loose puck and mm-hmm. just roofing it to tie mm-hmm. the game. Unbelievable! I literally was screaming. <laughs> I was screaming. I couldn't believe it. Um. Now here's here's where here's where again, you know, I I have questions about the Bruins' decision making in the overtime periods and and mm-hmm. the pace and the level of of at which they start because it seems to me. They just want to come out and win the game and win, win it quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Charlie Coyle um, wins a faceoff, comes out on the rush, has some fancy stick work, and hits the post. Okay. Yeah. Both teams are trading chances. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask Jake DeBrusque, mm-hmm. where were you shooting that puck? <laughs> where the hell were you shooting that puck? Like, what, what were you doing? Blowing yeah. that puck and and having it hit the stanchion, if yeah. just put the puck on net. Yep. Yep. Another case of getting fancy or just not. And then it turns into a three on one. Yeah. And there you have it. Yep. That's how it goes. And That's here's my other goes. question too. Mm. Now, Pastas, he's clearly feeling it in this game because yep. he's he's all over the place. He's he he peppered Mark Andre Fleury with shots. Oh, he wanted that hat trick <laughs> throughout the course of the night. Why wasn't he out there to start the OT? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not in charge. I don't understand sometimes anymore. You know, <laughs> at least they had the presence of mind. I did notice there was a defensive zone start at one point, and. They had two defensemen out there. I was like, oh, good. That's what you should do. I feel like they don't ever do that. So, <laughs> And you know what? And, and I know they're trying to get Jake DeBrusque going. Yeah. But can I tell you, in like the last 10 games, he's had one point. I know. One point. So how long do you wait yep. to get this guy going? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, we could keep going. But 
he it's going to be interesting to see what role he carves out for himself on this team if it turns out that this is just not going to be a goal scoring year and he will need to be focused on figuring out what that role is um pretty quickly because it's contract year so you know he doesn't have to be the highest goal scorer but he's got to be obviously contributing in one way or another if he wants to get a contract extension and hope that whatever the plan is that Sweeney and company have for the team, that that role that he fulfills exists on the next year's team. So, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm developing some frustrations as, as folks may be able to tell by the Mm -hmm. fluctuation in my voice. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm get I'm developing some frustration with this team's inability to, to finish. Yeah. I think scoring goals is going to start to be added to my list of concerns. Mm. And I get, you know, waiting for the likes of Jake DeBrusque yeah. to, to get going. Yeah. I feel like I would be less concerned about goal scoring in general. I don't think that there is a significant lack of goal scoring. I think the leakiness of our defense makes the standard amount of goals feel like it's not enough because what they have to then keep doing is chasing those leads. Whereas if their defense were better, uh, then you wouldn't have to feel like you got to score five goals in a night because two or three should be enough if your defense is doing what it's supposed to be doing. But and that's so, me. You know, to, to wrap up my f- frustration and aggravation with this game, there was a play where Pat Maroon hit Charlie mm-hmm. McAvoy from behind. Now, Charlie's just coming back from being injured, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he hit him so hard that it knocked McAvoy's helmet off. And, and it was a up shot of Charlie, who was getting up in an effort to like retrieve his helmet. And let me tell you folks, he looked a little like a deer in the headlights. Yep. Now I want to ask someone, anybody mm-hmm. in the league who would sit down with me and say, explain to me right. how what Pat Maroon did to McAvoy was any different than what mm-hmm. Pasta did to Lindgren. Mm-hmm. And there was no call made. Right. Right. Not even a boarding call. Nothing. Nothing. Yep. You speak facts, Maria. You speak facts. All right. So we're going to move on in our agenda because I we've we've already um we're already at our allotted time. I know. The the other big news um that um developed this week was the fact that um the Bruins are loaning Matt Patra mm-hmm. to Team Canada for the World Juniors. Yep. And so, you know, I want to get your your thoughts on yeah. good thing, bad thing, benefit, no benefit, yeah. the rationale for, for, you know, making this sure. decision at this point in time. You know, I could see it go both ways. I've heard all the arguments. I'm going to choose positivity. Um, and... 
say that this is a good investment by the Bruins to loan him out for several reasons. I, and we had this conversation last night uh, in our live watch. Patra is a great player. He's a great centerman, but he's 19 years old. And the Bruins are in a position where they want to, I get the sense based on how I've seen him be moved up and down in the lineup and the way that they are actively protecting him, almost doing a young, like a rookie version of load management that we see with the older players. Um, You know, they can't, they can't send him down anywhere for rest or confidence building or whatever. And the fact of the matter is him being 19 years old is actually pretty significant. So uh, for our, our listeners out there who don't know, I spent uh, 15 years working with college students. So uh, I have a degree uh, in their learning and their development and the psychological, emotional um, development, developmental changes that happen from ages 18 to 22 are massive. And so even though John Beecher is also a rookie, I believe he is 22 years old. He's also gone away to college. And so he's had these, some of these experiences and granted, you know, when you play college, uh, you are still, you are only playing twice a week. Um, I believe in juniors, they don't play nearly as often also as they do in the NHL and Beecher has some AHL experience as well. So he's had a little bit more time to acclimate to being in this professional setting with these high demands. And I am taking the sending off to juniors as a way to protect and develop Patra in a way that they could they can't in the normal traditional ways like utilizing the AHL and what have you. You know, he's going to go to juniors already 10 times better than he was when he was last on a junior team. So he's going to be the it guy. He's going to be the clutch player. He's going to be the top dog. So he's going to have experience in a I don't know what to call it, like a lower risk environment, a safety net environment where he can learn how to be that guy and he can take those lessons, whether it's on and off the ice and practice the things that he sees and he's experienced from the older guys on the team with younger guys on his juniors team. And he's going to come back better. Um, Players who do go to juniors, just like Patra is, they come back so much better. Their game is elevated so much more. Um, And because the Bruins are currently in the situation that they are in, again, they're not like terrible, but they have to lean pretty heavily on their veterans and their kind of quote unquote better players. They're, They're sort of, it's almost like a form of shortening the bench, right? So if somebody's gotta be the odd man out, and if they want to take the time to develop him and protect him, this is a win-win for everybody. I think it's going to pay dividends when he comes back in January. So that's my hot take. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree with a, a lot of what you're saying. But, you know, my, my kind of more kind of take on it, for lack of a better <laughs> word, is I think the decision 
to give him the opportunity to do this was made easier by the fact that they got Zaka back in the lineup. Right. And Geeky has been playing yeah. some some damn good hockey. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure that it would have been that easy for the Bruins right. to send Patra if you didn't have Zaka coming back and Geeky performing. Right. At the level because you would have really left a gaping, you know, again, mm-hmm. not, you know, he's going to be a good player. He hasn't, you know, he still needs to to grow and develop, but you would have been ultimately leaving another hole at your mm-hmm. center position. Right. Now, and during during this period of time, so this tournament runs from 1226 to, to January 5th. Mm-hmm. Patra is going to miss um, seven or eight games if Team Canada gets to the championship round. Mm-hmm. Now, during the month, so I did a little checking. Mm-hmm. During the month of December, Patra has a- been averaging only about 12 minutes of ice time mm-hmm. with a total of two points during the games that he's played. Mm-hmm. So to your point, this experience and this opportunity will hopefully give him a little bit more of a boost mm-hmm. in you know the level of his game, the confidence in his game, and you know he he plays like he has confidence, yeah, al- already. Mm-hmm. But there's clearly some development and seasoning that yes. needs to occur. I'm just not sure that if Zaka hadn't been able to get back mm. into the lineup and Geeky had, hadn't emerged, that it would have been that easily endorsed to yeah. have him. And that's just my view. Yeah, it's entirely possible. Like I said, you know, it was it's almost like serendipitous, right? All of these things kind of happening all at once. It was an opportunity, um, you know, and I think we as Bruins fans often see a uh, assignment as a negative when it might not actually be the case. And unlike Beecher, I think there are higher expectations of Matt Patra and the direction that they want to see his play go. So, you know, he's been he's been earning points and he's been contributing and he learns from his mistakes. We see it actively. It's not like he's out there making the same boneheaded move every single time. But, you know, they are investing in him and, like you said, seasoning him. And I think it's going to be a really good positive come January. So I'm not worried um, and I'm excited to see him come back. And see what he does in the juniors. You know, I've never watched them. I know they're a huge deal in Canada, but I'm definitely going to be checking scores and seeing how he does and watching what 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 oh, he accomplishes. We all will be. Yeah. yeah, we all will be. Yep. Um, and so just um quickly, we'll we'll wrap up with our our couple of little segments that we do, which is um around the rink, mm-hmm. and so we'll just quickly um recognize the fact that. Uh, Sidney Crosby recently scored a game-winning goal for the Penguins, and he is climbing mm-hmm. up the leaderboard in um, most career points in NHL history. 
So he's now sitting 13th. He passed former teammate Mark Recchi. And it's likely that, you know, he'll re- go beyond the likes of, you know, Joe Thornton, maybe even Ray Borg, Phil Esposito. He's in, he's in some pretty steadfast company. He sure and is. Right, right in front of him are three, three former Bruin, Bruin greats, Joe Thornton, Ray Bork, and Phil Esposito. Yep. So that is um, a milestone that uh, we wanted to recognize mm-hmm. and credit where Hat credit tip. is due. Yep. Because, you know, say what you will, tremendous talent. Generational tremendous talent. talent. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, around uh, what the chirp, I mean, we saw two uh, coaches fall this past uh, week. I believe they both happened in the same week. Ottawa Senators have fired their coach um, and have replaced him with, oh, I'm blanking on his name, Jacques Martin, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, Jacques Martin. Uh, so DJ Smith uh, is out. Jacques Martin is in. And then also out in St. Louis, uh, Baruby has been replaced. Yes, yeah. by Drew Bannister. Um on an interim basis. So the number of coaches who have been around since at least 2019 has uh, dwindled a little bit more. (laughs) Four coaches have already been fired and were not even in January in January (laughs) or the trade, you know, near the trade. I mean, that's sometimes when it happens, you know, you've got that middle season, that break in February and the all-star break, and that's when teams start to like evaluate and look at where they're going. But this is mm-hmm. four coaches now already fired in the um in the yeah. NHL. So yep, that's that's a lot. But the last big thing we want to share is we are going to be having our first special guest, our first special episode coming up. We'll be recording next week, and um, so you'll all have to stay tuned uh, for when that's actually going to get posted out. But it's actually also um. A conversation um, with a friend of mine from the Mastodon world, a prolific Substack writer, um, and we're going to be talking about officiating and the league and how things are going and just kind of get a take on what's been happening um, just everywhere. You know, we, we've been talking about all the things that we've been seeing from a Bruins perspective. Um but we we want to know uh, what's happening elsewhere. So Anna Hudak from uh, Prism Hockey is going to be joining us. I'm going to link to her uh, uh, substack in our show notes, and then we will um, get to chat very soon. And I'm excited for our first guest. And for anyone who would like to um, ask a question or has a you know a comment or concern all we we do ask that you keep it keep it clean keep it respectful but you can reach out to me on our x or formerly known as twitter mm-hmm. you know, account tape tape to tape that, mm-hmm. that's what it's called um you know please send us any questions and we'll be happy to um pose them to our guest We'll try to determine if there are any troubling trends yes. um, that we have seen over the over the uh, the last couple of seasons, three seasons, four seasons, with with the trend 
mm-hmm. of officiating within the league. Yep. So it's going to be an interesting time. So yeah, send but us your questions and, and hopefully we'll get to some of those too. In between now and then, we hope everyone has a very happy, happy holiday in uh, mm-hmm. whatever form you choose to celebrate it in. And um, we'll be back again next week. That's right. Go bees. Go bees.